Ready for the interview And if you get a cue Live on the laptop Watch what I'm gonna do Welcome to the show Let them know we got a point of view Hey, yo Let's have a combo Say what you feel Be real, that's the motto Real talk, pronto Doctor D, PhD Hit the intro Hold up, wait Gotta be social Network global Home for the locals Gotta be social Network global Home for the locals all right, Kat, we have got to talk about, about you, everything about you, but, but <laughs> consumer behavior, specifically in cultural intelligence, mm-hmm. uh, pulled me towards you, towards your orbit. So how did you, how did you get into this? Like what's, what was kind of your genesis about this, these topics, this work that you're in? That is a really good question. And um, I guess where I'll start, I'll start by saying that I'm the type of person that doesn't like taking the linear path through life. Um, In undergrad, I studied economics and history. So you might think that would have set me up to be like a lawyer or going Mm -hmm. into politics or governance or policy. But, But no, I decided to take it a different way because I love the storytelling and writing aspect of history, but also like the data side of economics. And at the time I was wondering, you know, what could I do with these qualitative and quantitative skills um, together? And that's what brought me at first to market research. So I was that person that, you know, wrote surveys to consumers and talked to them one-on-one on the phone. Um, I wasn't a telemarketer or anything, so I didn't have to, you know, face a lot of hangups on the phone. Um, But what I loved about that is really just getting to understand why people do what they do. Um, Because a lot of what you what you read or, you know, what you learn in your basic economics class or behavioral science class, a lot of that really assumes that the human mind is very rational. (laughs) Of course, it is. It is not. (laughs) It's far from it. But um, as humans, we like to, you know, fit things in the boxes and, you know, make it feel like we really understand something. And I've always been pushing that to be like, yes, uh, we tend to do this, but there's also this. It's like the rule of improv, right? Like, yeah. Yes. And there's more to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was so intrigued by, you know, what's more to it that um, I then went on to grad school at um, the University of Southern California. Um and did my master's completely online in consumer psychology because I was just so interested in, you know, why is it that people behave this way? And especially for consumers, it's a it's a slightly different mindset, right? Because how we may act in our day-to-day lives can really differ from, you know, who we are when we see a certain brand that we like, we see a certain product in the store and or we know we're on a diet and we still grab like that box of, you know, hostess donuts. Like those are completely irrational things. Um, and so I want to dig deeper into that. And um, after getting my degree, I wondered, you know, I now that we have kind of, you know, all this knowledge about why people do what they do in the present, um, my current employer, Sparks and Honey, really caught my eye because they're very focused on the future. Like, where is society heading in the next, you know, 5, 10, 20 years? Um, how will consumers uh, change their behaviors as a result of societal changes? Um, So that's what brought me into the world of cultural intelligence, where we look at, you know, current trends, um, both quantified and qualitatively, to kind of predict, you know, what's the next move that brands should take to really address what's happening in society, or what consumers are doing right now. Because the unfortunate thing about, you know, surveys or one-on-one interviews with consumers, those are really great ways at seeing what consumers are doing now. 
um, but less so predicting future behavior. So altogether, there's like a lot to learn in this field about how the past, present, and future all kind of work together to inform our decisions. And if anything, um, it's taught me that there's absolutely no surefire way to predict what people will do next. Um, <laughs> but it's a very good way to kind of put things in perspective, especially when you look at, you know, your own consumption behaviors, mm -hmm. you know, why do I do this? Um, why is this trending right now on TikTok? Um, yeah. Definitely a good field for, you know, exploring curiosity um, and kind of, you know, shaping your own habits as well. I mean, there's a lot here to discuss, like a <laughs> yes. crazy, I have like lots of questions in my mind swirling. Go for uh, it. Okay. Here's a question. It literally just popped in my head. Like, what are the ethics of predictive behavioral knowledge in the sense of what if the prediction of a behavior is negative for the population, but mm -hmm. a brand still does it because of the monetary aspect of it? That's a really good question. Like, a, I guess a, what popped in my head immediately when you said that is thinking of like, social media, right? Um, okay. We love consuming short form content. A lot of it is becoming monetized, right? Yeah. Um, back in the day, you could um, download an app without having to pay for it. And now not only do you have to pay for an app, you have to pay for not seeing ads within the app. Right. Everything is becoming so monetized. And that's not necessarily for the good of the people. It's really better for the company. Um, but for these predictive trends, what where where the ethics kind of comes in is kind of following the con, like the consumer's mind and heart about where they want these changes to be made, right? Like consumers are very likely leaning towards you know none of this micro transaction type of behavior, um, but instead they're more willing to pay for long form content, um, you mm -hmm. know, subscription packages. So kind of shifting, you know, we still need that profit aspect. You know, brands obviously need to make money. Yeah. But now it's kind of guiding them towards, you know, here is a more um, culturally relevant way to do it that really resonates with people um, versus just sticking to what's been, you know, done over and over again. What might be tried and true for the past 50 years, but, um, you know, consumers are increasingly more savvy about the way they spend their money and um, they can definitely see through a lot of the older ways at which, um, these brands or companies operate to make money. So I think for the audience purposes, can we define like what are the older ways and what you're currently, what a current consumer is looking for? Ooh, yeah, really, really big question. So I would say a lot of the older ways, right? Um, something that's coming to my mind right now is that a lot of what a lot of the media you would see, you know, whether it's TV, newspaper, all before the advent of social media, a lot of that was, you know, consciously created by media companies and then, you know, put on for you. So if there was a certain, you know, theme, song, artist that they wanted to put up, then that's that's what you get. That's what you saw. Um, but what's really captivating about culture today is that a lot of this is coming up in unpredicted ways. A certain song becomes trending just because it was famous for six seconds on TikTok and now everyone's talking about it. Yeah. Um, none of this without any conscious effort from like the record label or the media company, they have no control over this. So I think that loss of control for the companies can be a bit scary, um, knowing that the consumer now has a bigger role to play in pop popular culture, popular yeah. trends. 
And I would say that is like the main um, shift that we're seeing for a lot of different industries where they kind of have to let go of that control a bit, kind of understanding that, you know, they're not creating, they're not the only ones telling the story that they're, that they're a part of. Um, So taking the consumer along for the ride, respecting what consumers want. um, It's becoming a more participatory process. um, And that I think is one of the biggest shifts that we're seeing um, Mm. in current culture. How do, what do you make of, see, I think of kind of old, old kind of marketing techniques of kind of like you take a successful entertainer, uh, sports person, celebrity, whatever, and try to influence consumer behavior through seeing that person on a commercial or something like that. Mm-hmm. And how, how is that playing out now? And, uh, I guess you could say that's still a celebrity or an influencer, how does how does uh, I guess fame affect consumer behavior in the current state of society? Yeah, I mean it certainly still does, right? We still see a lot of celebrity endorsements and ads. Um, I guess who that celebrity is is increasingly different. Um, mm. No longer do we have to rely on you know a list celebrities. We can now pull out um, someone that went viral on Instagram or yeah, um, strange to me. Yeah. (laughs) Or maybe um, even some like a person that's pictured in a meme. You have no idea who that person is. You see their face a lot. But now that face is iconic. You put in a commercial and people absolutely love it. Um, So there's definitely that fame that's still relevant there. I think now it's just trying to it's hard to grab the pulse of what consumers think, like who that person is. Um, like you can take someone that's like Kim Kardashian, where it's very polarizing if you put her into a commercial. Right. Um, it's no longer as straight cut as it used to be. So that's where kind of consumer research really comes in. You have to talk to the right consumer, the right audiences to be like, how does this person resonate with you? What are your perceptions of them? Does this fit with our brand? Yeah. Um, no longer can you make these assumptions just because culture is changing so fast. You mentioned that the consumer is more savvy. Um, what does that mean? And like when you say the consumer is more savvy versus maybe the past consumer? Yeah. So I think a lot of this is attributed to the rise of the internet, right? Mm-hmm. Before, if you were buying something from the, you know, um, a little more of a dated reference from the Sears robot catalog, sure. you would just look at the catalog, go to the store. Yeah. And that's kind of all you had. Maybe you would ask your friends or family for any, you know, information on the product if you did have it. But what you did know was very limited through a couple of channels but now that we have the internet you know it's very easy for someone to go online look up other people's reviews of the product um, even watch videos of other people talking about it or using it Um, so it's very easy to um, kind of fact check a lot of what we buy a lot of what we see Um, and it's of course just as easy to create um, you know any kind of pandering content right that makes Mm. you want to buy the product more especially with influencers who are sponsored um, that kind of speaks to the fame right now. We know someone recognizable is buying it. I have no idea if it's good or not, but if, you know, if she's using it, then I have to use it too. Um, so in a way, the internet has helped us to be more, a little more informed about the products we're making, but at the same time, there's still that traditional thread of fame um, and like, you know, paid product placements that will really never leave um, kind of what we see in day-to-day media. What is the, like, I guess I'm just just flum is kind of flummoxed by this like like in like a celebrity or influencer endorsement. Like, what is the percentage 
of return on that for most companies. Like, I don't know. It's like, I, I, this is just my personal point of view. If like, if I say, see someone supporting like a cereal or something, it doesn't make me want to go get the cereal. Like, like uh -huh. never, like, I don't know. It's not, <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. Like I've always had this weird conflict. I'm like, just because this person is promoting McDonald's, why would you want to go get McDonald's? Like, I don't, I just, it's always been weird to me, but I'm trying to look at this from a 30,000 foot point of view. Like how effective is that actually? Yeah. You know, I, I'm on the same boat as you. I'm always it. the person that always watches the ad and I'm like, okay, that was a cool ad with so-and-so in it, but now I'm, I'm not going to buy that cereal. I don't even like that cereal. Right. You know? Like you're going to um, run out and buy a car because you saw something <laughs> on, I don't know who does that. I don't like <laughs> <laughs> But the, um, I don't have like a hard, you know, quantified number yeah. of how this works out for companies, but like, um, it's more than just like how many sales they make. Uh, the real power of these types of advertisements is that it buys them awareness, right? Mm -hmm. um, awareness of your your brand, maybe your brand's history, their story, the product. Yeah. Like if we think about someone like, you know, Elon Musk, another very polarizing right. figure, a lot of the things that he does, we may not agree with, but it has inevitably brought a lot of attention back to Tesla right? Um, and made it a very popular car. Um, and the, you know, the culture surrounding being a Tesla owner has become, I have a um, Tesla. I'm a Tesla. Owner. <laughs> and for the funny thing, you never see a Tesla ad ever. Yeah. They don't, ever. they don't need the ad you don't because need the they ad. have, you know, yeah. the celebrity, the, you know, the buzz surrounding Elon Musk, yeah. he's kind of a walking advertisement. For the company. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you may be really different from the people that actually sure. own the car, at least more <laughs> are aware of it now. So <laughs> it, there's like a, you know, a, a, always a plus and a negative to yeah. you know, that kind of uh, fringe celebrity moment. But um, yeah, yeah, there's, there's definitely a benefit to these types of, uh, endorsements and commercials i think the hard spot is finding like you know which person is most appropriate um can this person play in this you know specific brand yeah. or industry like if we swap out elon musk for um i don't know maybe someone like martha stewart trying to sell mm -hmm. you a car then that's when you know no this is not gonna this, this is, is not not gonna work <laughs> jump the shark <laughs> to say this the is least. bad <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, uh, wow that's fast it's fascinating i just uh I remember like in the past, especially like the 80s, I've always felt I take it to a sports analogy, like the only like athletes that had commercials or endorsed were ones who actually won stuff like they mm -hmm. were they were like successful in their sport. And it almost feels like we've turned this corner and almost everything. You don't really need to win anything. You don't need to really have reached like a zenith of your profession. You just have to be kind of popular. Yeah, it's I kind mean, of strange anything, to me. Yeah. yeah, I think if, you know, with um, especially the younger generations, like, you know, speaking to myself as like yeah. a Gen Zer, um, I think there's a lot more empathy and like understanding that's being um, generated through uh, how we act. The fact that we see all these stories on social media and yeah. we have a better understanding of how people's lives actually are. You know, we have a greater empathy for people that didn't win or they're the yeah. underdog and um, you know, humans are also fascinated by stories. And I think after you kind of hear that winning story so many times, yeah. we always have a soft spot for the underdog or that's even true. like a redemption arc. Um, <laughs> I, that's where yeah. all these, you know, these celebrities are coming in, or even if they, you know, haven't done the best or, um, yeah. have had some ups and downs in their life, we welcome them back with open arms, like just right. looking at 
Lindsay Lohan. Like, yeah, she's that's made true. A, she's made a total, total comeback. What a and, change, right? Um, I mean, like, crazy. Yeah, and <laughs> collectively, I think we all love to see that because it ended well on a good note. Right. Um, it and tragic. kind of fulfills yeah fulfill some of that nostalgia you know of a lot of us watching her movies growing up for sure so what's the so now i want to jump back into the predictive aspect of it like what are we seeing in terms of predictive behavior from humans in terms of consumption i mean because certainly we're seeing an interesting time right now with consumption patterns of everything Mm-hmm. Uh, from supply chain issues and all that stuff. What, what, where are we at with that? And where are we going, you think? That is a very big question. And there's no, you know, clear answer for it because like anything else that, you know, people do or people are involved in, there's a lot of tensions, right? Mm-hmm. And I think one of the bigger tensions now is that we're seeing, at least in terms of physical consumption, this rising tension between, you know, concerns about climate change and sus- mm-hmm. sustainability and on the other hand of that tension, you know, wanting convenience. So we love having, yeah. you know, access to, you know, these dropship clothes coming in from China right. that could come in in three days. But at the same time, we might be berating the company for using too much plastic in their packaging. Um, so it's a very interesting tension to witness because you might see the same people on the other side of it. Um or that we were, not, were unable to find a better solution because we're so accustomed to the convenience that modern life offers. Um, so I hate to say that there's no current prediction of like where that will end up. Um, a lot of it does depend on, you know, uh, how governance and laws may change surrounding how we buy products sustainably. A lot of it also depends on, um, you know, how the public opinion towards climate change and related issues might change. Um, that's one of the leading tensions. And also say for, you know, media consumption, consuming what's intangible. Um, we're also seeing a rise in that as well, where, you know, things like the metaverse are being developed that are encouraging yeah. us to consume things that are intangible or, you know, physical, digital, digital. Um, so <laughs> I never <laughs> heard that. Digital? <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it's a very interesting word. Um, I only heard about it, you know, since uh, starting to work here. Yeah. Uh, but it's very interesting to see that there's this overall, this overall wide tension of let's consume more and more, which has always yeah. been kind of the, you know, the saying of capitalism. But a lot of tensions holding us back where we're like, oh, we shouldn't consume more because of the planet or... Um, you know, does this cons- consumption actually bring us joy and happiness? Yeah, there's a lot of competing priorities here, and it's hard to say, you know, which one will win out. We just inevitably have to live to see it. Um, but I think <laughs> yeah. the ultimate takeaway is that you know a lot of consumers are conflicted, um, just like any other average person. Um, yeah. And for brands, kind of making sure to understands that level of conflict within a person is really important and knowing how they can kind of ease that off of consumers, whether that's making something that's more environmentally friendly or supporting a cause that means a lot to people. Um, there's so many, you know, great opportunities for brands to play into that. Um, but, you know, it's really hard to balance corporate social responsibility with profit yeah. sometimes. In your opinion, what usually causes a large change in consumer consumption? Is there a is there a tipping point in something? A generational change? Uh, like like you're talking like about the planet. What's the tipping point in consumer consumption behavior with our planet? 
I wish I had like a exact year or event I could point to, but I'm just curious about this and people's <laughs> like yeah. ideas about it, because it's like, I mean, if you really think about it, there is nothing on the horizon of another place for us. I mean, we mm -hmm. literally have just this place. Like, mm -hmm. and like, and like, what's the tipping point that says, you know, we should take this seriously. <laughs> Actually, like, <laughs> like, I don't know. I feel like I don't know what that is for humans in general, unless it's like forced upon humans. You know? Right. Like every time you watch the news, you think this is it, but um, it's not it. Um, no. And I, I think what even you know, even that tipping point, there will be some people that are not tipped by the tipping point. It's true. So <laughs> it doesn't address everyone, but every time, you know, something external comes in and really questions our values, I think that's when, you know, people are encouraged to kind of address that tipping point, thinking of, you know, for example, the, the pandemic put a lot of our values under a microscope, right? right? Like right. what is the worth of going into the office every day mm -hmm. or, um, well, the, the main point was kind of that, like, you know, reevaluating how we work was a really yeah. big um, pressure point. And that's what made us to, you know, reconsider the nine to five model, the uh -huh. five days a week in the office model. So that really pushed us in one way. But for the planet, um, because the changes are happening so gradually and it's not, mm -hmm. I mean, for all we know, someday there might be an inevitable catastrophic event that right. forces us to change perspectives. But because it's a rather slow moving effect on our lives, I don't think that tipping point will really occur until we until we start to see those devastating consequences hit really key communities like in the coastal areas, for example, um, until we start to see climate refugees become a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then I think that will kind of kick us in action, um, hopefully. Yeah. But in the meantime, it is it is, you know, a really hard issue to speak on, just given that it's also very easy for us to be pulled away from it with other issues happening in the world. Right. Um, it's always right. been sitting on the back burner. It's funny that the planet's sitting on the back burner. <laughs> yeah. And that also sounds like a crazy statement. Like this sounds like <laughs> one of the craziest statements like ever, but it's, I think it's this gradual kind of glacial change. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could say in my business and fitness, it's very similar when discussing um, chronic disease or uh, obesity because it's such a gradual buildup for people it's like people's behavior they don't take it as serious until it reaches mm -hmm. a critical point which is usually like some catastrophic traumatic event that right. is like the culminating aspect of the chronic disease for that and the planet yeah. feels very similar to that but if it happened like if but if you knew if you let's say you got this disease and it was going to kill you tomorrow, you would think differently about it. You may change your habits potentially. So it's like, if it feels like we could put it off, we're going to put it off. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually reminded of something um, I learned in like a college um, environmental ethics course where basically people tend to discount the future because it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, right. You're not living yeah. in it. You know, that right. that's future, you know, future Catherine's problem. She <laughs> doesn't have to deal with it now. You know, like what you tell yourself when you're like, yeah. you know, I'll just do the laundry on Tuesday, then yeah. Tuesday, Catherine can deal with it. But yeah. when you think about something so far in the future, you know, years from now, you're like, I'm not going to worry about it. 
Um, but it does take a lot of empathy to, you know, reconsider and kind of repackage that to think about, you know, yeah. I should be worried, like if I want to have kids, I should be worried about this because that will affect their lives or yeah. it'll affect maybe my legacy on this planet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just because it's so far off and it might not kill you tomorrow, then yeah, easier to put it off. What is something maybe surprising that you've learned about consumer behavior and cultural intelligence since you've been doing this? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I will say that um, like throughout my academic and professional work, I have a very soft spot for um, nostalgia, like mm. what it is as a as a concept. And I think one of the most interesting things I've learned is that uh, not only is nostalgia kind of making a comeback and what we've seen, but that it has a really strong impact on um, like how consumers rationally look at a brand. So mm. just thinking about, I actually wrote my master's thesis on this. So it's like all flooding back to me at once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like how, because of all the sentiment that surrounds nostalgia, all the good feelings it gives you, all the memories, you know, when we look at brands that give us that nostalgic feeling, um, we tend to put view those brands in a better light. And that benefits a lot of companies. You know, if you think about many longstanding company family household names that grew up with us, they have a lot of, you know, credibility to leverage there because you yeah. grew up with them. Um, and because of that, that gives them a lot of kind of cultural wealth they can play with. Um, but of course, only if they play with it in the right way. Yeah. Um, and there's a very fine line between, you know, how we can leverage our history, our culture, and how to modernize it. Um, you know, what are some parts of our brand history that we should be open with or that we you know, maybe we did something wrong or, you know, yeah. we, we might have um, represented something that was inaccurate or, you know, um, didn't address a certain community in an equitable way. You know, mm -hmm. how can we kind of, uh, you know, repackage that now and kind of, you know, explain ourselves or, you know, put a, put a more modern lens on it. There's a lot to really unpack there for these kinds of older brands that have a lot to work with. But at the same time, it's very refreshing to kind of have that opportunity yeah. and, um, you know, know that ultimately a lot of these companies just want to do the right thing. Mm. Um, it's just really hard in the current, you know, sociopolitical landscape <laughs> right. and right. kind of having the right resources to do it. What are your thoughts on, you mentioned convenience, right? I mean, mm -hmm. who doesn't want convenience? I mean, <laughs> yes. No matter how diehard you are about stuff, like, I mean, who doesn't love convenience? But at what point is our convenience detrimental to our consumer behavior, to our behavior with ourselves? Mm -hmm. I mean, at what point does convenience become a negative in be consumer behavior? Yeah. So one of the most, you know, fundamental parts of being a consumer, right? We're all consumers at the end of the day yes. is that we have agency, we have choice. Um, that's what makes us an actual consumer versus just a, like a recipient of a, mm. of a product, of a gift where we didn't get to choose it. So I think any if convenience ever takes away your choice, then that's where, you know, you might mm. see consumers fall off. Um, because even if it's just making sure that my cat food gets delivered, you know, once a month, I still get to make sure that it's the right brain of cat foods, the yeah. right variety of cat food. So as long as there's that control that I still have, then I think, you know, convenience can, can work happily in a consumer's life. But anytime you take away that agency, no matter, you know, how little or how much it is, that's when um, 
you might get that negative reaction. Interesting. I that I, I didn't see that answer coming. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I'm I'm curious what you predicted, like what you were more so expecting. No, I just I, I had no clue what I was thinking you were gonna say. And but I didn't <laughs> think it was that. I didn't I like the control. When my next thought was like, well, how would that happen? Like how would convenience turn into like, let's say you took away the control, what would be an example of that? Like, I just don't know. Like on my mind, I'm like, wait a minute. So I'm ordering from Amazon. What would, what would cause that to change? Where like the convenience of ordering Amazon became negative. It like, I didn't have control over that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think if we think about a really futuristic scenario, right. Where think about like Amazon um, does a lot of work with, you know, customization. They know Mm. what you like. They know what you browse. Um, Alexa can also pick up, you know, the, she can physically hear like things that you mentioned, you know, where you told to buy something. So if we take that to like the ultimate scenario where now they tell you what to buy because they assume that they know you best. I see. Then now as a consumer, you feel pretty powerless because well, one, like, Alexa is telling you to, a machine is telling you to buy something. Yeah. Um, and two, you, you know, you no longer have that spontaneity that comes with choice. Like if I wanted to, you know, buy a bag of, you know, gummy worms just because I felt like it. Yeah. Um, but Alexa tells me no, because I've never said the word gummy word, gummy worms in front of her. Then that's (laughs) when you feel, you know, conflicted. You're like, it's, um, it's convenient that you can do these things for me, but now I no longer have the choice to be to be human, to be spontaneous, yeah. to do things I shouldn't. Um, so that's kind of where where my mind was going with that. Uh, with yeah, that I love that though. I, I see this is kind of my whole thing is like to be kind of inundated with something that wasn't in my pathway. It's like, oh, I was walking, and I'm like, no, I didn't see that as an mm-hmm. option. But now it is not thinking about the control aspect, like taking away the freedom of your choice is fascinating to me. Yeah. And that's that's kind of like the beauty of brick and mortar that I I believe will stick around Mm. that having that spontaneity, you see things in a store window and they look great. Like no matter how hard, you know, we try to push online retail, um, fast shipping, convenience, um, it can't it can't replace that feeling of walking by something in a store it catches your eye um right. I think the challenge for retailers now is just um you know making sure that people get to your store and they find it relatable yeah. um and making sure that really human emotional experience overrides you know any perceptions of convenience or um, anything else like that okay here's something this is this is this is like more futuristic here I'm gonna hear it okay. too okay. So where do you see consumer behavior being altered potentially with, okay, so you mentioned Alexa, everything like that, but what if the technology becomes so sophisticated that it's anthropomorphized into almost a human type thing? Mm. And then the ethics of your behavior, let's say you can shop more often or do things more often because a machine is doing all these things working overnight. It, you know, would that maybe if would that change consumer behavior if all of a sudden the technology we use feels more human to us? That is definitely an ongoing conversation topic, mm-hmm. um, especially when you talk about like the metaverse and AI. Yeah. We've actually, you know, seen um, 
I can't remember which like countries it is in, but there are some influ influencers out there that actually aren't human. They are AI models and they right. look very realistic, just like a real person. They, um, you know, they model certain products in a very human way. And they do have a relatively large following across Twitter, Instagram, like people actually follow these non-people and are inspired <laughs> by them. <laughs> um, so even though it does speak to this rising, like relatability between the human and the machine, um, I still think no matter how close they can get it, um, yeah. they won't be able to match like maybe the anecdotal way that humans discover mm. products. Like right. the way, you know, my mom can tell me about this new vegetable she saw at the supermarket, like no sure. AI will be able to, to maybe recreate that enthusiasm or, yeah. you know, all the emotions I have between me and my mom talking, like we have an ex existing relationship. That is something that the AI has a really hard time replicating because yeah. they don't have that existing relationship with me right. um, or the memories that we share. So yeah. that's, I think that will remain a barrier. Um but definitely I can see it having an impact on maybe younger generations, you yeah. know, maybe their first exposure to consumption. If it's through an AI robot, that will be right. dramatically different from how the rest of us you know, <laughs> walk true. into a grocery store for the first time. So yeah. definitely something to keep in mind um, just as we get older, as newer generations are born, like how, how do we roll this out in a very ethical and um, meaningful way? without um i guess without influencing people's behaviors towards the negative or depriving yeah. them of very human experiences i w i think of like and maybe you see in this like in uh human and pet relationships to me the consumer behavior in this area has skyrocketed over my lifetime uh where it used to be like let's say uh a lot of apartments would not allow pets Mm -hmm. or you couldn't bring your pet with you like everywhere. And now people literally bring their pets with them everywhere, all over the mm -hmm. place and restaurants. And I feel like, um, let's say restaurants, they may cater their marketing behavior towards that because it's such a big, because people start to anthropomorphize their pet. They make mm -hmm. them human in many ways, or they make it a maternal thing. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that same thing will happen with AI in the future on some level and how that will change consumer habits. Yeah. That's a really good trend to point out. I mean, we've seen that not just with pets, right? But also plants. Like plants, plants are the new okay. the, the new version of a, you know, the the new yes. child of younger generations. Yes. They have names. We tend to them 24-7. Um, uh, when we leave them at home alone for too long, we have what? a camera watching them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, me? that market has it, it has boomed. Yeah. So I guess the way, you know, where especially as fewer people are getting married, right. um, settling down, you know, I think finding those social alternatives and other things is definitely something that will keep on rising. Um, as for the AI, you know, it's how, how human can it get? Um, yeah. And I guess over time, it'll be really interesting to see how people are redefining their relationships with technology. Yeah. Um, because where we're at now, you're seeing a range, right? You see kids that are, you know, fluent with an iPad um, yeah. at like the age of four versus, yeah. you know, my grandma who's like in her 80s and can't use a flip phone. Um, yeah. It'll be so interesting to see how that changes as we get to AI, because it'll be the first time, 
you know, we're really looking at a relationship that's not between a human and a physical device, but now a human and a very intangible voice or face. Right. You know, what's that going to be like? Is that going to affect our face-to-face relationships? Um, yes. <laughs> I, I think a lot of our our fears or, you know, a lot of the sci-fi we might have consumed, mm-hmm. a lot of that is going to be um, really top of mind, especially for parents as well. So it'll be really interesting to see how that turns out as this feel, technology gets more sophisticated. I feel like movies are great predictors of technology. I mean, the course <laughs> of my lifetime, you watch sci-fi. I mean, I grew up in the 80s. And like much of what you see occurs now, what mm-hmm. I saw occurs now, like without thinking about it. It's like, uh, I remember watching back to the future too. And I mean, he was on a basically video conference with his boss mm-hmm. on TV. And I remember thinking, watching it, that's wild. Like <laughs> I, I can't imagine ever doing that. And then look what we're doing. And people are yeah. doing this all the time. They, they're tired of it. Think about it. They're tired of something that was so crazy to think would exist in the past. Oh, I'm tired of it. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> it's bizarre. And I, it is I think, bizarre. Um, I think when you watch it for the first time in a movie or, you know, you, you learn about like hoverboards for the first time, yeah. you, you know, you think they're really cool. And I think the assumption that we always make is that whatever that cool technology is, it'll replace everything like right. no more cars we're just gonna have hoverboards you know yeah. no more face-to-face meetings just zoom <laughs> but it's not true right no, it's, it's, it's mentally not a supplement for these yeah. things that we already have and i think that fear and caution is very you know understandable but um kind of approaching these things with an open mind and understanding that you know they're not a replacement for reality is really important yeah i think it's important and I think that's what's the interesting thing about the AI is as we're we're in that transition, we're like the Tesla robots going to come out at some point and all these things. It's like, OK, what happens like in a movie when they have like humans, the show humans and there's these synthetic robots living in your home? What happens when that actually happens? They may not be that level of sophistication, but it seems like it's going to move to that way at some point. How does that change your behavior with other humans? And how does that change your consumption? I just think that's wild. I think it's like a crazy <laughs> thing. Like, but I think it's going to change us. And I think you're right. Like my daughter, who's 10, has grown up in a society where it was where she could talk about gender and gender fluidity and all these. Like, it's just normal. It's super normal for her. Mm-hmm. It's not even like a thing. It's just life. Right. Right. But then you have like older people, they're struggling with it. I guess it's so far from their initial entry into the world type of thing. It's fascinating. Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, whether you're talking about like a brand making a new product or um, maybe they're rolling out a new ad campaign. It's yeah. the thing there is just to meet people where they're at. Right. Yeah. Like whether they're, you know, a, a 10 year old kid who totally understands what being gender fluid is yeah. or they're talking to a, you know, an older person who cannot grasp the concept, like being able to meet different audiences where they're at is really important. And I I suspect that as, um, as time goes on, and there's more, more polarization coming out of, you know, social issues, political issues, um, it'll be really hard to do that to meet people where they're at. And that's, that's kind of where, um, 
you know, leveraging empathy and consumer research really come in to know how to really speak to these different audiences um, without without feeling out of touch or being out of touch. Yeah, it was interesting. <clears throat> I don't know if you're into like crazy movies like this, but there's a movie <laughs> called Crimes of the Future. I'm not sure if you've seen it or not. I have not heard of it. No, but it, the it's title weird. sounds interesting. It is weird. I mean, it's probably the weirdest movie you'll ever watch in your life. It's crazy weird. It's like I guess it was in the theaters for a little bit. You can buy it like on demand or rent it on demand, but it kind of deals with this future behavior of technology in a very, it's like a weird dystopic future. I mean, aren't all sci-fis pretty much weird dystopic yes. futures? Why is it never happy, <laughs> by the way? That's a different thing. <laughs> but essentially, it's like, I don't want to give it away because you, you might want to watch it, but essentially there's this kind of weird anomaly genetic thing that, or surgery based thing that people are doing to deal with uh, environmental waste. That's all I'll say. And it's oh, the strangest okay. thing. And you're like, wait a minute, could that happen? <laughs> like, would, is that, is that an option for dealing with environmental waste? It, it's just it, but it's really freaky weird. It's very weird. You know, it's interesting. No, I'm going to write that down and check it out because that's not where I thought it would go. I did yeah. not think environmental waste was at the end of that sentence. Yeah. Um, it blew me away. I was like watching it with my wife and I was like, okay, this is weird. Like I would have never <laughs> thought this is how we may deal with environmental waste. And it, that it's it. I'll just leave it at that. Because once you realize it, you're like, whoa, <laughs> like is this person who made this movie thought of something that a lot of people, most humans never even considered an option. I'm not saying it would be, but it's it's strange. It's, it's very say, it, Yeah, isn't it interesting how you know a lot of that creativity um, and innovation that we've never seen? A lot of that comes through us through movies and shows. Telling you, but they're not the ones that are you know working in the tech industry or no. in government making these things happen. So it's so interesting to see how that could possibly be bridged as technology improves over time and. We can better, you know, make advance advances happen. But at the same time, I think that also speaks to, you know, innately as humans, we have that imagination to make the world better. And yeah. being able to tap into it is something that, you know, is something that doesn't happen as often, or some people aren't, um, they don't have the right resources or, you yeah. know, environment to do so. But there's so much potential here that can be tapped into. What do you think about, um, like, so we've been talking about the future. What do you think about current consumer behavior and relation to like gas prices, housing? And I hear this word, I think I'm saying it right, demand deconstruction. Um, uh, people basically like, hey, it's too high. I'm going to stop getting gas as much or I'm going to drive less type in different things like that. Yeah, I mean, it's very, oh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just saying, what do you think about that, this current state? Because it seems like consumer behavior is at an all-time weirdness because of this time, you know? It's definitely weirdness, um, <laughs> to say the least, because not only are we seeing, you know, inflation, high gas prices, yeah. but we're still, we're still technically in a pandemic. Um, yeah. There's also a war happening on the other side of the That's world. Right. So there's a lot of weirdness going on influencing our our behavior. And if you, you know, just looking at the news, when you look up inflation, you know, you see a lot of articles about um, not only prices going up, um, but companies also kind of doubling down and sticking to lower prices. Like um, Costco, for example, 
their food court. They've always stuck to that same right. 50 hot dog and soda. And they have doubled down on it in like the past um, past month or so amid of all this inflation. Um, Target, I believe they had, um, I can't remember how long it went on, but it was basically they have pledged to keep their prices the same amid inflation. And they had uh, a sale for, I don't know if it was a couple days or a day in store where everything was discounted. Yeah. Um, so a lot of that was really helping out um, the consumer, especially for those that are in lower income brackets. Um, so I think there, as we realize like consumer demand is being weird, um, it's almost the expectation for brands to also be weird, to kind of mm -hmm. react to this in a very strange way. Like, oh, you're not raising prices, you're you're slashing them for my own yeah. benefit. Because that, you know, that not <laughs> only builds like brand loyalty and gets more people in your store, but, you know, it really plays at, you know, consumers' heartstrings. They know that they can yeah. count on Target now that they know that Target is really interested in helping them out when they need it versus trying to make the most money. Um, so maybe I wouldn't call it weirdness for brands, but kind of just acting, acting a little differently than you're supposed yeah. to. And um, remembering that these are people at the end of the day versus just wallets. Yeah. It's kind of funny, like certain places you can go and you're like, why is this less expensive? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, you can go, or is it like, <clears throat> I always think like, you know, Trader Joe's is always, a, always, busy no matter where you go in any state i swear that place is always busy mm -hmm. but you can get like really cheap things and i always think it's interesting how like some things can stay really cheap but then how other things just like go up go up go up go up and you're like how is this this much this is crazy and yeah you know and, i feel um, like that's really a big issue kind of like with our housing right now because it's like if you're damned if you do um in terms of so it has been it's going down housing prices but then rent for renters it's insane also mm -hmm. and i i'm curious on that too like consumer behavior what do you do when you're stuck between two high things as a consumer you know that you need yeah so the the beauty of humanity is that you know we'll always find a way so when these extremes do occur um or you can call it chaos, if you will, um, it breeds innovation. So, you know, mm. at the time we saw housing prices at a high, rental prices at a high, you know, the tiny the tiny homes movement flourished. A lot of people yeah. realized, you know, it's too expensive to buy a house. I don't want to rent. I still want to own something. Tiny houses became like the next big thing or um, living in um, kind of like a co-working space turned, you know, co-living that became really yeah. popular when um, it was really difficult to split rent in a way that made sense. Um, so in a way, there will always be innovations that come out of when you're stuck in between two extremes. Um, so for the consumer, sometimes that burden isn't on them, but when it is on them, you know, consumers will still adapt. Like during the pandemic, we saw a lot of people move back home with their parents right, right. or, you know, uh, transform into a shared situation, shared living situation. Um, so regardless, there will always be a way. Um, humans are very resourceful. Um, but I think here, the, mo the more important thing is that when you see consumers are struggling and stuck in between two extremes as a for-profit company or a brand, that's when you wonder, you know, um, are we, you know, how are we viewing these consumers? Are we purely viewing them as a source of short-term income, short-term profit, or as a long-term investment? Like, yeah. even if we're not making money, we can still invest in these consumers' futures, you know, give them discounts, cheaper products. 
um, help out the community. You know, it's how you want to treat your audience base um, and in turn, how you want them to reward you. Yeah, <clears throat> it's fascinating stuff but like this is like a like like a stream of conversation this like sometimes when i talk to people it's like oh this feels pretty cut and dry this is just like a never-ending conversation like it's just constant flow you know (laughs) yeah so anyone that is like just a very curious person like this is this is basically the conversation we're having now is basically like what my mind is like all the time it's just wondering things wondering you know how people will react and because we each have our own lived experiences, right? This conversation won't be the same if you replicate it with someone else, right. which is such a beautiful thing. And I think a lot of times, you know, um, as researchers, we tend to focus on data numbers, you know, now that we have the opportunity to with such great technology, but you can never let go of these like qualitative moments yeah. where you get to hear anecdotes, stories, um, experiences, identity, you know, all these things play into who we are and what we choose to do. Um, so having these k- kinds of conversations are super important to not yeah. only just opening up your understanding, but just being more informed about how other people make their choices differently than you. Last thing. So how, what is your philosophy on consumer behavior based off of your work in this field? I guess my question would be like philosophy as in like a rule of thumb or just how I, how I approach approach consumption based off of what, you know, you may know things that other people aren't aware of. Like a lot of people are just doing stuff. (laughs) They're literally just buying stuff. They're not thinking about it. You're probably, (laughs) I would imagine you're thinking about it on a more nuanced level. I would think so. Yeah. Um, even when like I, I buy things. Sometimes I get stuck on like my own choices. Like I wonder why I'm buying this particular brand over another, or like, mm-hmm. do I even need to buy this? I mean, that's a conversation we all have with ourselves. Sure. Um, but for me, I think the way we consume products or what we buy in a store, what we buy online, what we look on the media, um, what we see in our, you know, our daily feeds, all of that is a reflection of our, you know, our lived experiences in the past, our present needs and our future aspirations. And of course, no product or brands can play into all three of those at once. Um, But being able to play into, you know, maybe at least two of the three or understand that you can grow up with a person throughout their lives. There's a lot of nuance there that can be captured. Um, But I think sometimes we tend to have a more black and white view where we think, this product meets your need at a very specific time. Yeah. That's all we need to do. Um, no, you can definitely do more and try to capture, you know, even if they don't need it now, they might need it in the future. Um, or a lot of what we buy, honestly, is a need that some company has created for you to right. need, right? Like right. no one really needs, but okay, well, some people do need, people with accessibility needs do need a voice assistant. Sure. But a lot of the general public, we don't actually need a voice assistant. We can go back to typing on our phones and trying <laughs> to do stuff. But, you know, a lot of the tech companies have given us a reason to talk to yeah. Siri instead of typing it ourselves. So I think having that conscious thought that um, not only do your experiences play into, play into it, but um, your experiences are being consciously informed by external forces. So there's a lot going on in your mind when you buy something, when you do something. Um, so just to the average consumer, I would say, just be conscious of these things yeah. happening. 
Um, and that, you know, what you buy is not just an action stuck in time, but it does reflect a lot of you as a person. An action stuck in time. <clears throat> I like that. You know, I was curious that question. It just popped up for me because, uh, you know, in a lot of fields, often the, a person who knows a lot about something many times doesn't follow the thing that they know about. Like there's plenty of financial advisors who are pretty poor with their own money or <laughs> respiratory therapists who smoke cigarettes. Like it happens all the time in so many fields or <laughs> that. So I'm very curious. I was like, cause I've seen this so much in my life, like so much. You know, somebody that's really into something and they're like, let's say they have expertise, but they often don't like, like longevity folks, like people who are futurists and who are into longevity of human life. So many of those people actually don't, are not good at taking care of themselves. Like they have very poor habits. Strange to me. Interesting. <laughs> like, so I was like curious. I'm like, wait a minute. How do you buy? If you know this, like what are your behaviors? I, because I was, I'm not trying to catch people and that's not my thing. I just, I've seen this so much and because I talked to so many different people and I've met some, I'm like, wait a minute, this doesn't, you think this is this way, but your actions are not that way. Like, <laughs> what? I mean, uh, you know, the only word coming to my mind right now is just like, you know, to be hypocritical, I think is to be human. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's definitely like a whole nother level when it's your profession. And, yeah. Um, you <laughs> yeah that's what blows it. my mind. But <laughs> I mean, the, I mean, like my, my personal irony is that, you know, I work in an industry that's very forward facing, but I myself as a person, I am like dead last if it comes to adopting a new technology. Like I, <laughs> <laughs> I was like the last in my, my group to get a smartphone. Yeah. Um, I don't even have like a smartwatch or anything. Yeah. Uh, jury's still out for me on that one. Like yeah, I too. give things a very, very long time <laughs> me too. before I consider them and then they'll go out of style. And then I'm like, oh, I guess mm. I just missed that train. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's definitely an interesting dichotomy to live on. But at the same time, you know, I, I know myself. I know that I'm not ready for certain technologies and that's yeah. fine with me. Um, that's a good thing. That's so, yeah, I mean, I tell myself it's a good thing. Um, I think it's a good thing. <laughs> I really think more people should be like, am I ready for this? I don't think a lot of people think about it that way. They're just like, I want to give me. <laughs> like, yeah, there, there's a call toy. for action for <laughs> yeah. anyone listening. Yeah, think about it. Um, you know, if you really need it, um, if it will add value to your life. Like, yeah, yeah, really think about these things because you're inundated with so many messages about what to do during the day you know yeah. you know you know yourself best like take some time to think about it um it's just we're so pressed for time these days that it's really hard to kind of take that moment yeah wow i gotta tell you this was enlightening it was uh i learned a lot on this and uh thank you so much Catherine. cat sorry cat for uh <laughs> coming on with me and uh having a conversation with a lot of depth i appreciate it no, thank you so much, Darian. It's always a fun, fun topic. And, um, the, you know, the great thing about it is, is that anyone can talk about this. Like right. everyone's a consumer. We all have our <laughs> own thoughts. Um, so yeah, I, I would definitely encourage anyone really to kind of talk about these things with people in their lives. Like you will learn some, like so much about a person, so even much. though it sounds really mundane, you actually <laughs> learn a lot about, you know, why you do what you do and why you buy the things you buy. That's true. So anyway, so tell people how they can connect with you or learn more about you know, the topics you discuss. Yeah. 
Yeah. So um, in the show notes, you'll find uh, my LinkedIn and my email for anyone that wants to reach out. My website will also be linked. And I'm also putting in a plug for my company, Sparks and Honey. Um, we're a cultural consultancy in New York. And um, one fun thing we do is that three days a week, we host these daily culture briefings where we talk about trending things in culture um, and unpacking their implications for the average consumer, employer, brand, whoever it may be, anyone finds value in these. And so I link that as well in the show notes where you can find our uh, Spotify link. Perfect. Well, Kat, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, have an awesome rest of your day. You too. Thank you so much again for the, uh, for the opportunity, Darian.